Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day that you've given us to come here to worship you, to praise you, to adore you, Lord, because you are faithful and good and loving and kind, and you have provided us with everything that we need for this life and the next. We thank you for instructing us perfectly today through your word that we might be prepared for the journey that we're on in this life as Christians in a sick world, Lord. And we thank you for preparing us to be a help to administer healing and empowerment and love and prosperity to those who know that they need you and those that don't. Help us to reach them. Give us doors and windows of opportunity into the hearts and minds of those who need you so desperately, Lord. And even if they don't know it, help them to see their need for you and use us as vessels of your, as beacons of your light. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Luke 14, around the 25th verse, and we're going to look at some things today. I said about preparing and being prepared for the journey that we're on as Christians in this world. Amen? Amen. And it's a, it's a serious thing, and it's become more and more serious as the time and the close of this age quickly approaches. And I want to just read here. This is where Jesus is talking about the cost and weighing the cost of discipleship, of belonging to him, of calling ourselves Christian, and the importance and the gravity and the weight of that. Um, If you have time... Tonight, when you're revisiting, or this week when you're revisiting the message, if you're taking notes, just make a note. We're going we're gonna to read here verse 25 through um, 34. But put in parentheses, go back and read verses 12 through 24 as well, because it, it shows the gravity of it as well, how the Lord was preparing for his banquet, and he... And he uh, invited his people in. They didn't. They didn't have time, and so he just went and got whoever he could. And so that that's encouraging for us who lived apart from God for many years and and uh, are wanting a place at the table because he's he's willing for us to be there if we're willing to come and to give it our all. So the cost of discipleship here, starting in verse 25 of Luke chapter 14. Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, this is Jesus speaking, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So let me stop. (laughs) Because Jesus... Wants us to love not only our family members, but everybody, doesn't he? So when he says, if you don't, if you come to me and you don't hate all these people, then you can't really be my disciple. What he's saying is he has to be first. He has to be first, no matter what. When you're little, you have a mommy and daddy and brothers and sisters and friends that are very important to you. But he says, put me first. When you get married, he says, you love your spouse, you love your husband, or you love your wife, but put me first. In all things, put me first. And if you don't get that, then there may be something wrong in your understanding. Maybe you just see him as another man, as as many religions of the world see Jesus as just another good man, a prophet. Let me tell you, he's way more than that. He's God. And he created you. And he created you to have all the good things and the people in your life and the relationships. And matter of fact, that's how you're going to be judged one day. Not on all your great achievements in this life, but on your attitudes and relationships with people and with him and your choices regarding the Son of God in this life. Amen. So anyway... Verse 26, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me 
cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and de- deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 men to, who, to, able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is just a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we're talking about spiritual things. As usual with the Lord, he understood everybody had ears. He's talking about if you can really hear me. If you really have a spiritual understanding of what I'm saying, good for you. Because he's saying that the cost of being his disciple, of claiming Jesus as your Lord and Savior, is total. Everything. Nothing that we have, or no relationship, no item of possession, no bank account, or anything else in this whole world should mean more to us than Jesus. Now, does he want us to prosper in every way? Does he want us to be filled with peace, love, and joy, and to have plenty in our lives, including money and possessions, that we can always be a blessing to others? And yes, absolutely. It's his will that we be in good health and prosper, even as our souls prosper. But we need to make sure that we keep the right perspective, and that way it keeps us on a... Um, even keel, as it were, not ever getting too big for our britches, my mama would say, thinking that we're uh, more high and mighty than we really are, because apart from him, we're nothing. The grace of God has been granted to all of us who have chosen Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so everything that we need for this life and the next has already been put on account for us. We receive those things by faith as we stand believing and receiving from the Lord. But without Him, we do not have the grace that empowers us to be and to do all that He has made us to be and to do. So, it's only right that we should put Him first in all things, because without Him, we couldn't even take the next breath or the next step across the floor. It's that simple. Amen? Everybody needs to count the cost. He's saying, you know, he gives the example, if you're going to go build a tower, let's say we're going to build a house or something on a a piece of property. We go pour a foundation. Have you ever seen something that looked like it was going to be a great new structure and then they just stopped development right halfway through? I've seen entire subdivisions like that. And you do the grass grows up and it's like they poured all the concrete, made the roads, and then they just stopped. What happened? They went out, they ran out of money. They got sued or something and they had to stop. They, they just didn't count the cost. They didn't prepare properly. And there was probably some bad management, some bad stewardship, what God would say. Because we're stewards. We're the caretakers of over everything he puts in our care in this life. Whether it's our love, our time, our money, our talents and abilities. They're only ours as a gift from God to put into our care, to care for them and cause them to be used and multiplied and to prosper in this life and if we don't he's going to look down on that and he's saying the same thing he said if if they they don't sit down first and count the cost whether they have enough to complete it otherwise when he's laid a foundation it's not able to finish all who see it begin to mock him jesus is not so worried about us being mocked and ridiculed for falling away from him as he is him It's all about him, to be honest with you. Jesus is filled with pride. And he's the only one who is entitled to because he's perfect. 
<laughs> and he does. God does not want us to cause the kingdom of God to be ridiculed. Look around and tell me if you can think of one or maybe a hundred examples of how Christians have made God look bad in this world. And unfortunately, you can usually think of some. They're, they're usually fallen preachers or Christians or someone who's, uh, who just doesn't really have a good grasp on what Christianity is all about. And they look down their nose and criticize their neighbors and, and uh, act like they're better than them. And that's not how Christians are to act. Or you get a preacher or, um, or a priest or something like that who's taken advantage of someone in ways that no one should ever, ever, ever even consider. And that's not good for the kingdom of God, is it? It, it gives fuel to the fire of Satan's plan to cause the world to hate Christians and to mock Christianity. As something that's not real. But we need to know that you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because there's a few bad apples that Satan has planted into the church. Doesn't mean that we all belong to him. Because we don't. There are many, many of us that belong to God himself. We are children of God. Brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ himself. And heirs along with Jesus of everything that God has. And we look forward to that day. Amen. But it is good to count the cost. And we're talking about being prepared for the journey in these last days as Christians. Because things are getting tougher for Christians in this world. I never would have thought I'd see the things that I see. The hardships that are placed on Christians in the United States of America. This country was founded on Christian truths. And the, the founders of the country knew that... If people ever got away from God's truth and the word of God and the principles of God, that this democracy would never stand. So we're in a real fight for our country right now. It's a big spiritual battle. And we need to keep lifting up our leaders and, uh, and our nation uh, before God and asking him to have his way in Jesus' name. But <coughs> it is important to count the cost of being a disciple. First of all, <coughs> because we don't want to do anything to do damage to the kingdom of God or the Lord's reputation. I know a lot of people that bring many people to the kingdom and then they offend everyone they bring with their own life. By living a bad life or taking advantage of people. <coughs> we don't want to do that. <coughs> Excuse me. Tickly throat. Same thing happened to me last week. I think it's... Excuse me, I think it's the, uh, the, dust. the dust from the sheetrock. I swept up right before you all got here. And it probably stirred some up. Uh, no, that's okay. Thank you, though. So weighing out the cost is a, is a great thing spiritually. Because we know that as a Christian, we're going to come under attack. And more and more as... Uh, as the enemies of God uh, gain ground, or if they gain ground in this culture, we're gonna we're gonna face more more uh, ridicule. And Jesus says, "You need to you need to bear your cross; otherwise, you're not worthy to be my disciple." We have to suffer with Him if we want to reign with Him. Amen. And we know that He was ridiculed. He was mocked. He he was criticized. He was spit upon. He was beaten and eventually laid down his life for us. So we need to count the costs and be willing. Why is it important to talk about things like this? They're not very pleasant. You know, this is not a pleasant thing to talk about. Why don't you talk about how he wants me to prosper and all that? Well, I, I am. But why is it important? The same reason it's important to... to um, like with young people, to tell them about the things that people are, the peer pressure and the things that people are going to try to get them to do in this life because they're knuckleheads and they don't know any better either and they're just silly. And they might try to present them with, uh, to do something wrong or 
to go against the rules or to do drugs or to do other things that are just wrong. And if you talk to them about it in advance, they, they say, oh, no. I was already warned about this person coming to me and trying to get me to do things like this. And I know the answer is just say no and walk away. Amen. Well, because if we know if they're presented with something without ever having been talked to about it by anyone, then they may choose wrong, you know. But it's the same way with Christians. We need to think about how far we're willing to go. There are a lot of Christians in name only who as soon as we read the parable of the four souls, right? And as soon as hardship comes or as soon as uh, on account of the word, if someone ridicules them or criticizes them for standing up for the word, they just, they'll just go along with the crowd. And so many Christians are blending in with the world that look just like the world, that they're actually ineffective uh, as Christians. And Jesus said, this person is really not my disciple. If we're not prepared to stand and fight for him. And I say that, but let me back up because he doesn't need us to defend him. I know people that just, they charge in the gates all the time and they want to argue with everybody. Jesus doesn't need us to do that. But... I'm talking about in instances where the world may try to force you to call evil good. Because that's what they have decided, that these evil things are good. And they want you to agree with them. Why? Because if you, a Christian, if you as a real child of God will tell them that their evil ways are good, then they'll feel better about themselves. But we can't do that. We love them. We love them in spite of their sin against God. But we hate that sin. That's what the world can't understand. How can you separate my sin from me? Because that's who I am. That's not who you are. That's not who God created you to be. That's just what you've decided or been deceived into believing. But I I know different because I know from God's word and the leading of the Holy Spirit that he created you to be like him. And all these other things come from the enemy of your soul who's really trying to hurt you. And so I love you and I'm praying for you to be free from those things. But I'm not going to agree with you that that is good because it's evil. See, that's being a disciple. That's bearing your cross because you're going to maybe lose that friend if they don't, if they don't repent and they want to stay in their sin because they love the darkness. They may not have anything to do with you anymore. They may talk badly about you. They may criticize you and even want to do you harm but we can't deny Jesus he said if you deny me before men I'll deny you before my father and the angels in heaven so we have to stand firm in our resolve having counted the cost and decided I'm all in in the same way it's a good good thing to count the cost of doing life or doing business in the Christian life because It takes money. It takes finances to get through this life. And we know that if we don't have a a budget, if we are struggling financially, it's going to be harder on us. It's hard on our relationships. It's hard on everything. And really what Jesus sees and why I can tell you that poverty is not of God is because when we struggle financially, it keeps our it's hard to keep our focus on Jesus Um, a budget in a sense keeps us out of trouble and allows us to stay focused on God and on what he really wants the things of God which is really revival in this time and so when we're doing okay financially it's a lot easier to praise God and to thank God and to stay focused on God and a lot of times We're just not prepared. And that's why budgeting and things like that is just part of weighing the cost. Also need to be prepared to be spiritual stewards in the coming days and times, just as we are financial. Jesus described things in financial terms like he did here many times when he's really trying to get at the the spiritual. But he knew if we weren't doing okay physically, and financially, then it's hard for us to stay focused on the spiritual things that are really important and really who we are. It's not easy, but if we're prepared, it's easier, isn't it? Let's look at let's look 
back in Luke. We stay in Luke and go back to the sixth chapter. And I want to show y'all something since we're talking about finances and being prepared for the journey as a Christian. There's no doubt that being okay financially makes life easier as a Christian, as anybody, you know, (laughs) we hear the phrase all the time, jokingly, people say, well, we know that uh, you can't buy love and you can't buy happiness, but it sure makes it a lot easier (laughs) to get by day to day, you know, and so we want to always be in a good place financially so that we can be ready to do whatever God has for us to do at any given time, and then we're not indebted to the world. Amen? Amen. Luke chapter 6, verse, uh, let's look at the 35th verse. 6, 35. This is, this is kind of spells out God's plan for prosperity, and there may be something that we miss as Christians. We we look at a scripture and we take from that. Matter of fact, I'll just say, look at verse 38. All right, 638. I'm going to read that to you and then we'll talk about this a little bit. It says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap or men will men give into your bosom. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, we're all familiar with that scripture especially because it talks about how generous God is and how he's a God of multiplication and how when we give, he gives back to us and he multiplies that seed back to us. And he's talking here about money. Amen. Amen. So we all, every preacher that take it up an offering has preached that, that scripture right there. And it's a truth because we know that the law of sowing and reaping, we've been talking this year about spiritual laws and how to learn to, to um, agree with these laws and to benefit from them. Amen? Amen. And so we know that the so- law of sowing and reaping is real. You're going you're gonna to reap what you sow more than you sow later than you sow. So if we plant a seed, whatever form it's in, we can expect more of that same seed back, whether it's ugly seed or good seed. And if we plant a dollar, we know that the Lord's saying here that some get 30, 60, 100 fold return. Amen. So what happens then? Because as a pastor, and I don't know any pastor who would tell it differently. But you hear people's hearts breaking all the time about all sorts of things. And one of the most common things is finances. We've all struggled. If you you haven't ever struggled with finances, you will at some point. And um, that's not God's will for our life. He doesn't want us having to go miracle to miracle to miracle. He wants us to enter into the blessing and he wants to... Have that blessing chase us down and overcome us and where we have to drop to our knees a couple of times a week and just say, God, you're just so good to me. You overwhelm me because you love me so much and I'm thankful. So this scripture says that he's going to return seed to the sower. And so why do Christians come to their pastors all the time and say, I have been sowing and sowing and sowing faithfully. As I'm supposed to, ever since I had a revelation of God's truth about sowing and reaping, but I'm still struggling financially. Why do I keep on giving and giving and giving and not getting the sort of return that God says? Because based on the scriptures that we heard this morning, we know God is faithful. God will fulfill his plan and God's word is true. I want to look at these scriptures here. Let's back up for a minute and look at the whole plan for prosperity. As we're talking about being prepared as a Christian in this life and to to shine as beacons of God's light and to be all that it means to be a disciple and to truly weigh the cost and to be prepared. I think this is very important for, for today, a timely message or timely word, as it were. Back up to verse 35. 
But love your enemies. There's Jesus. Love your enemies. And do good. And lend. Expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Judge not and you'll not be judged. Condemn not and you'll not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure. Press down, shaken together, running over. Will it be put into your lap? For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is talking about what it looks like to be his disciple. Jesus is inside of you and he wants to live through you. Since he went to heaven and sat down next to the father and he turned the church over to us. Christians. We're his hands. We're his feet. We're his mouth. And he is just really, really asking, let me be seen through you. And what he's saying here in this plan for prosperity is when you're surrendered to me and you've counted the cost and there's nothing more valuable than me, then everything that you have and do is going to be based on me and it's going to revolve around me and it's going to look like me. And so what he's saying here, starting at the 35th through the 38th verse, would be culminated in a sentence more like this. Love your enemies. Do good. Lend. Be merciful, judge not, condemn not, forgive, give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men given to your bosom. You see that? So it's not just about the giving, because if we do the giving, remember last week, without, without faith wrapped around it, Anything that's not of faith is sin. So last week we said what about about our finances? So don't throw. And so if you're just looking at verse 38 and you're just saying give and it'll be given to you, multiplied back to you and all that. There's a tendency to just see that as just just throw it in there and it's going to grow and it's going to come back. But if you'll back up and read the sentence culminating all three of those scriptures, four scriptures from verse 35, and I'll, I'll read it again how it should read to you. Love your enemies, do good, lend, be merciful, judge not, condemn not, forgive, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men given to your bosom. So, first of all, it's about love because God is love. And this is how Jesus said that people would recognize his disciples, their love one for another. So we need to keep that ever before us and being mindful of that. And if we're compassionate and understanding and we put... We esteem others more highly than ourselves and we're not arrogant and prideful. Then it's easier to see from other people's perspective and points of view. Even if they're wrong, according to God. Not to agree with them, but to have to sympathize and empathize with them. Amen. So that we can be compassionate and love them even when they're in error or sin. Not because of the sin, which we hate. Because it hurts people but because they are a person who needs God and we have God. How can you hate someone who needs what you have? 
So we need to love our enemies. It's easy to love those that are good to us. Jesus said that doesn't benefit us. Even sinners do that. That's a matter of fact, they're known by that, you know. But we're called to love our enemies and to do good. And he says, don't tire in doing good because it will bring a reap a reward. Remember in the other, other scriptures, it says that. The word bears it out. So continue doing good even when you're tired and weary of doing good. And it's like, I just keep doing good, but they just take advantage of me. Nobody appreciates it. They run over me. The nicer I am, the uglier they are to me. That's okay. Do it anyway. Lend. We give money. How many people can you think of that you that owe you money? And it just looks like you may not get it back. You're like, oh, yes, I am. I'm going to get it back one way or another. I'll take it out. Of, <laughs> I'll take it out in their hide if I have to. No. Can I do you a favor today and just tell you forget about it? Just forget about it. Give it to God. Just forget about it and watch. He'll take care of you. Be merciful. God has been so merciful to us. Every one of us is entitled to the death penalty. So how can we judge others? Jesus told the parable about the the man that owed the king millions and millions of dollars. And he demanded his money. And he said, I can't, but give me time and I'll repay it. And the king felt sorry for him and forgave the whole thing. A debt he could never repay. And that man went outside and when he saw somebody that owed him just a few dollars, he wouldn't even give them time to try to get it to him. He choked them. That's a description of us when we're unforgiving and not merciful to others. Because God says, I forgave you what you were entitled to, which was debt. And I put my son on the cross in your place. And you're going to hold something trivial against somebody else when I've done so much for you. When we think of it like that, it's easy to forgive, isn't it? And that's what he's calling us to do. So all those things and sowing the finances keeps us in the spiritual position in agreement with God so that the devil doesn't have any open doors from bitterness and unforgiveness and strife and all those things. Because all the things that he's asking us to do here, when we do the opposite, what does it do? It opens doors for the devil. So he's trying to protect us. He's not making demands on us. He's saying, do these things because first of all, that's who you are because I live in you. You are love. You are forgiveness because that's who I am. And you need to recognize and stop struggling with this identity crisis, trying to look like the world because you're not like them anymore. You've been changed because you received me. And now heaven is your home. You're just here as an ambassador for me to share my love and forgiveness and mercy and so forth and so on. And you know, it's easy when we keep Jesus first and keep him at the forefront of our minds and our hearts and our lives because Jesus is our hope. He's what keeps us going. Isn't that what first Timothy says? The very, very first scripture, if I'm not mistaken, let's see. Let's see. Whoever finds it first, holler out. First Timothy. Back there, Timothy, Titus, First and Second Thessalonians, all the T's are right there together. Five T's. There we go. So the first scripture of First Timothy says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. Look at there. He is our hope. And Jesus is alive, isn't he? So we have a living hope, don't we? (laughs) What's the importance of that? What's the significance of that? Well, let me just share this with you. 
Think of all the other religions of the world. All of the tombs of the heads of those religions, let's just say Buddha and Muhammad for starters, they still in those tombs. <laughs> They're dead. Jesus, though, his tomb is empty because he's alive and well, isn't he? So we, our hope is in Jesus and not a dead Jesus, but a living Jesus. So we have a living hope. <laughs> and let me tell you, through, through his death, because he did die, He's not just still alive because he never got killed and he's uh, 2,000 years old now. No, he died. He gave up his life for us, but death wasn't strong enough to hold him. Through his death, which he had to do for our sakes, he destroyed the one who holds the power of death, Satan himself. If you're writing, write down Hebrews 2.14 because that's what it says. I'm going to go to it and read it, just so you know. Hebrews, way back past Timothy, toward the back. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. He became flesh, just like us, so that he could be our kinsman redeemer. Amen. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Thank you Jesus. So through his death he destroyed the one who had the power of death which is Satan. And the resurrection of his body from the dead. Happened because he is greater than death. So we have a living hope. This is amazing. We have a we have a God in whom we can trust, who is faithful and loving, who was stronger than death. He defeated death for us, which was the last enemy that we faced, so that we have nothing to fear anymore. If God be for us, who can be against us? Nobody. Who's going to bring accusation against God's elect, the Bible says? Nobody. In other words, they better not. If they do, just like George said earlier, God's going to fight your battles for you. He's got this. He's got you. He loves you. He has your picture in his wallet. And no one can snatch him, snatch you from his hands. He hides you in the shadow of his wings, protects you and keeps you and loves you and only wants good things for you. Amen. Amen. We know that Jesus conquered death. He's greater than death. So he not only through his precious word here, what do we talk about all the time about the the part that is the answers are yes and amen. The promises, right? The promises that we find in this book concerning us. What is a promise in the Bible? Well, let me just let me just say this first. God is no respecter of persons. And I mean that in a good way. It doesn't mean he has no respect for you. <laughs> he loves you. It means that he doesn't have any more love for the person next to you than he has for you. There's nobody better than you in God's eyes. He loves us all the same because he is love. Amen. So the, the playing field is level at the foot of the cross. No one is better. No one is worth, worse. We're all sinners in need of a savior. And the answer to all the promises and provision of God in this word is yes and amen for those who accept Jesus as their Savior. So we can trust God because He is faithful. He loves us. 
And he has promised us that everything in his word. So in other words, a promise in the Bible is anytime we find that he did something good for somebody in this word. That means that he'll do it for us. Because he's the same yesterday, today and forever. No respecter of persons. If he did it for one, he'll do it for you. So if you find something in there that jumps out at you and he said, the leper said, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me healed. And Jesus said, I'm willing, be healed. So now we know that he's willing. We don't have to ask him anymore. We can just go to him and get that healing when we need it. Amen. So Jesus came back from the dead, conquered death, hell and the grave. So we can say that he not only gave us a last will and testament with amazing promises and provisions in his word. But he rose from the dead to be the executor of his own will. (laughs) What a great savior. What a great salvation. He stands. He stands good on his own word. So our trust in his promises is backed by the guarantor himself. And he watches over his word to perform it. Isn't that what Jeremiah 1.12 says? It is what Jeremiah 1.12 says. You can write that down too if you want. Because it says that he's watching over his word to bring it to pass. In other words, he is a, a God of integrity and truth. He will never lie. If anything he said was not true... The whole world would come undone. It's all held together by his word. So he's watching over his word and his promises according to his word uh, concerning you. And he is watching to make sure that they are coming to pass. That, that the angels that work for him are here looking out for you. And when they see you speak his word in faith. Speaking the promises regarding you, the prayers for things that you are entitled to as children of God. He's making sure that they are bringing those things to pass in your life. That is a comforting thought, isn't it? Yes, it is. Do you see through the word how what I'm saying is true, though? It's not just a good word. It's the truth from his word. And we know that he's causing his word to come to pass. <laughs> and I tell you, the reason that I talk about this living hope is because I'm still focusing, I'm still hoping that we understand the count, the count, the, to count the cost of discipleship, to count the cost of belonging to the Lord and standing for the Lord and standing strong in faith and not being moved by putting on the complete armor of God so that we don't get halfway through this life and then go back and blend in with the world because our end would be very bad if we did that. And He needs us. Look around. We don't see too many out there fighting for the Lord and for His goodness and His love and His truth and His ways. We don't see too many fighting for traditional marriage. We don't see too many fighting for the unborn. We know that that child is a a real person in the womb. We know because of God's Word. We know that John the Baptist was in his mother's womb. And when Mary came and she was just pregnant with Jesus, John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb for joy, the Bible says. That's a person. God said, I knew you before I knitted you together in your mother's womb. I know the plans that I have for you. So why wouldn't we stand for these things? Why do we want to blend in with the world? Why do we think that this flicker of a life, this moment in time that we're here, is more important than our eternal destiny and life with the Lord God Himself? So we need to weigh the cost of being a true disciple and commit in our hearts And with our mouths to Him in prayer that, Lord, I'm with you. I'm weak sometimes and I need you to strengthen me. And I may not be as strong as 
I want to be, but I love you and I want you to help me with this. That's a good prayer. That's a good prayer. And I tell you one thing, if you'll do that, it's going to be worth it. I'm going to read Romans, the eighth chapter. I want to start at the beginning. And I think you're going to see what I'm talking about. Because he loves us, he's for us. But it's important that we understand the Christian life, that we're prepared for the journey as Christian soldiers, as disciples of the Lord. And to do that, we cannot live according to the flesh. We cannot live according to our carnal minds. If we do, we'll look like the world and we will be like the world. But God says we are not like that anymore. And we need to live life according to the Spirit, which is simply in agreement with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we're debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider, listen to this, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be. It's going to be worth it. That's why we have a living hope. These other dead religions, it's so sad to see these people trying to earn their way to a heaven. Maybe, maybe not by doing evil. How silly is that? Worshipping someone who's still dead in the tomb. How foolish is that? But we, for whatever reason, were predestined to be called the children of God. We know the truth about God and His Son. And we've accepted Him as our Lord and Savior. And so, 
we've found the meaning of eternal life. According to John 17, 3, as Jesus described it himself, he said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. So knowing the Father and the Son, we have entered into eternal life. And now we are growing in it. We are learning to experience it. We are learning to cooperate with the spiritual laws put in place to be a blessing and a comfort and a guide to us. Amen. God loves us and He is trying to prepare His bride, His true bride. You're going to see a great apostasy in these last days, a falling away from the church. And what Satan has done is he's, he's caused many to just outright just deny God. They don't want God. They don't want anything to do with God. They mock God. But then there's a whole nother large group that of Satan's people that he has planted within the church. And so you see these great breakings away and divisions and splits and all these things and, and entire denominations and things like that, which are totally corrupt. And they're believing and teaching people about this all-inclusive thing. And you see where even the Pope himself is entering into these agreements with, with Muslim clerics and people like that saying that we're all different parts of the same religion trying to get to the same God. That's a lie from the devil and... You're going to see more and more, and it's going, to, it's, it's going to come to the point where you just you feel like you're in the twilight zone. It's so hard to believe the things that you're hearing and seeing. That's why real Christians need to be prepared. That's why we need the truth of God's Word, and we need to rely upon the baptism of the Holy Spirit and to be adorned with all the gifts of the Spirit because there will come a time when the true church is going to be confronted by the false church and it'll be a time where simply put, be like Moses when he went back to Egypt. You throw your rod down and I'll throw down mine and we'll see who God is for. Praise God. I want to read one more thing. Have you got just another minute? Go to Ephesians chapter 4 and I'll finish here. Because wrapping all this up, the encouragement that we get that it'll all be worth it and that we have a, a God, a Christ who is a living hope and not a dead religion, but someone we can go to and talk to and someone who has experienced every all the temptations that we go through in life yet without sin. And He is the only mediator between God and man. Remember that. You don't need a priest in this life to talk to God for you or to forgive you, absolve you from your sins. You have Jesus Christ himself who is the only one between you and God praying for you and, and mediating between you and the Father. Amen? And that's a comfort to you. You can run right into God's office. Right into the throne room of grace. No matter what sort of meetings are going on, you can run right into your Heavenly Father's throne room to obtain mercy and find favor in the time of need. Amen. Go over to Ephesians chapter 4. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pull something up quickly. And I'm going to read this. From another translation that I don't usually carry. But I'm going to read it off of my, my, my uh, iPhone here. It's called the TPT translation. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Or the Passion Translation. And um, the Passion Translation, or TPT, really cuts to the core. I was talking to a, a pastor friend of mine up in uh, North Texas yesterday or the day before. And he pointed a couple of scriptures out in this passage to me. And I've been meditating on them ever since. And it really hit home. And I, I want to I tell you that, you know, I have a friend or an acquaintance up in, uh, he's a pastor. And he was at Mall of America up in Minnesota. And he, and he is an ex-Muslim who now has a great ministry. Lots of Muslims are coming to Christ 
once they hear the truth from him. So it's happening all over the Middle East. They are really, the lights are coming on for them and they're coming to the, the Lord in high numbers. Mm-hmm. Of course, they have to be very careful because they can be killed. The same as in China and a lot of these other places that are just against Christianity. And uh, But anyway, he was arrested in the Mall of America just for talking to some other Muslims. He didn't approach them preaching. They asked him. And he told them he had converted and he was explaining about the Christian. And he was arrested for that right here in the United States. And they have not dropped the charges. He's actually going to be tried for that. Just for talking about Jesus in Minnesota of the United States of America. Now you think that's bad. You say, well, I thank God we live in Texas, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's what they did last week in, in Carrollton, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas. They implemented the same law in the city. You can't, you can't, there's no public reading of the word of God. No talking about Jesus, no preaching in public or you will be arrested. That's in Texas. So Ephesians 4, starting at the beginning. As a prisoner of the Lord, this is the Passion Translation. Just listen to this, if you would. As a prisoner of the Lord, I plead with you to walk holy in a way that is suitable to your high rank. Give to you, given to you in your divine calling. With tender humility and quiet patience, always demonstrate gentleness and generous love toward one another especially toward those who may try your patience. Listen, this came up because as a minister, it's always a struggle going back and forth, how far to go with people. And you don't want to argue with people about the Lord and because and you don't want to do anything that's counterproductive, but at the same time you have passion. And so there's always a sort of a struggle. Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to say? Well, We were talking about the fact how the Lord has been showing us both that we need revival in this country. And I know that for 10 years I've been preaching that this, the church in these last days will need to be adorned with all the gifts of the spirit to walk in the fullness of everything that God has for us. We need to be able to prophesy and to have words of knowledge and discernment and to walk in the gifts of healing and all the great things that God has the Holy Spirit will hand out to us as he sees fit as we go when there is a need because it's going to be very important that we be able to differentiate ourselves as the real thing you see and so revival needs to come to the church and it's going to come in this nation There is going to be a great revival in this nation and people are going to be healed. People are going to see signs and wonders and there's going to be demonstrations and and, uh, angels will do mighty works as well. And that's coming very soon. You need to be believing for it and praying for it and praying that you're prepared and that you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit can call upon you And gift you with these things that you can be a blessing to the body of Christ and to unbelievers to help bring them into the kingdom. Why do these gifts need to take place? Because that opens their their eyes and their hearts. It plows their hearts to believing, hey, this must be God. Then they'll listen to what? The word. It always comes back to the word. That's why Jesus did it. It was like a dinner bell so that they could receive the word which is able to save them. Amen. It's always about the word. It's not about just being able to walk around with, with God's power and doing, um, doing uh, these tricks so, so that you can receive honor and, 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 and all that. No, it's to bring people to the kingdom of God to help the reputation of God. Amen. And I believe it's coming in a big way. And so really for, for, for that to happen... And for people to really see God and for us to be effective, it's not a one-on-one confrontation of you're wrong about this and that's not God's ways because that just turns people away. And I've seen that and I've probably driven people away. But, you know, hey, if the only thing I'm uh, ever accused of is that I was too passionate for Christ, well, I'll deal with that, okay? But I want to do it better. Just like 
All of us do. Amen. So the best thing that we've come to terms with is just to show Christ. Be prepared. Count the cost. Make your decision to be all in. And then learn to walk after the Spirit. Just like we just read in Romans chapter 8. Instead of after the flesh. Don't be carnal. Be spiritual minded in agreement with God. In agreement with the Word. Being led by the Holy Spirit. Free of bitterness and unforgiveness. And all the things that hinder us. So that we can hear God. And that God can be seen through us. So that people will desire what we have in Him. So show Christ and trust God to bring His plan to pass. And His plan for this this time is to bring people to repentance so that they can receive times of refreshing from God. And we need revival to get them to that point before the end of the age. Amen. Before His return. So reading on. With tender humility and quiet patience, always demonstrate gentleness and generous love toward one another, especially toward those who may try your patience. Listen to that. Be faithful to guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in the bonds of peace, being one body and one spirit as you were all called into the same glorious hope of divine destiny. For the Lord God is one and so are we. For we share in one faith, one baptism, and one Father, and He is the perfect Father who leads us all, works through us all, and lives in us all. I want to stop and just touch on that. It says one baptism, because that has caused a lot of error in the body of Christ, and they think and say that you're saved by being baptized in water. This is not true. You see that as evidenced by the thief on the cross who never was baptized, but we know he was saved that day, don't we? The baptism, there are many baptisms. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of water immersion, and the baptism uh, into Jesus Christ. See, when we come to the Lord, John the Baptist said, one comes after me who I'm not fit to tie his shoes, right? He said, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. But first... When we come to Jesus, when we come to God and repent and, and, and ask Him to be our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ. That's the baptism they're not talking about, okay? And then it's important to press on further and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit from Jesus. Amen? Anyway, I just wanted to say that. Verse 7, And He has generously given one of... Each one of us supernatural grace according to the size of the gift of Christ. This is why he says he ascends into the heavenly heights, taking his many captured ones with him and gifts were given to men. He ascended means that he returned to heaven after he had first descended from the heights of heaven, even descending as far as the lowest parts of the earth. The same one who descended is also the one who ascended above the heights of heaven in order to begin the restoration and fulfillment of all things. And he has appointed some with grace to be apostles and some with grace to be prophets and some with grace to be evangelists and some with grace to be pastors and some with grace to be teachers. And their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. These grace ministries will function until we all attain oneness in the faith, until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the Son of God, and finally we become one perfect man with the full dimensions of spiritual maturity and fully developed in the abundance of Christ. And then our immaturity will end, and we will not be easily shaken by trouble, nor led astray by novel teachings or by the false doctrines of deceivers who teach clever lies. But instead, we will remain strong and always sincere in our love as we express the truth. All our direction and ministries will flow from Christ, And lead us deeper into him, the anointed head of his body, the church. For his body has been formed in his image and is closely joined together and constantly connected as one. And every member has been given divine gifts 
to contribute to the growth of all, and, and as these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body, we are built up and made perfect in love. So with wisdom given to me from the Lord, I say you should not live like the unbelievers around you who walk in their empty delusions. Here we are. This is what we were digging into the other day when we were discussing this because we were talking about how bizarre and how it seems so unnatural and abnormal like we're in the twilight zone some of the teachings and the thinkings and the mindsets of people in this day and how to reach them but listen this is the answer just to 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 live a life after the spirit in love and in truth and in patience and kindness and here it's explaining the condition of these people and why it is so with the wisdom given to me from the Lord, I say you should not live like the unbelievers around you who walk in the empty delusions. Their corrupted logic has been clouded because their hearts are so far from God. Their blinded understanding and deep-seated moral darkness keeps them from the true knowledge of God. Because of spiritual apathy, They surrender their lives to lewdness, impurity, and sexual obsession. But this is not the way of life that Christ has unfolded within you. If you have really experienced the Anointed One and heard His truth, it will be seen in your life. For we know that the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus. And He has taught you to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man, the old self, life with which was corrupted by sinful and deceitful desires that spring from delusions. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you and to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with Him. For God has recreated you all over again in His perfect righteousness and you now belong to Him in the realm of true holiness. So discard every form of dishonesty and lying so that you will be known as one who always speaks the truth. For we all belong to one another. But don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. Don't let anger control you or be fuel for revenge, not even for a day. Don't give the slanderous accuser, the devil, an opportunity to manipulate you. If any one of you has stolen from someone else, never do it again. Instead, be industrious, earning an honest living, and then you'll have enough to bless those in need. And never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth, but instead let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help them. The Holy Spirit of God has sealed you in Jesus Christ until you experience your full salvation. So never grieve the Spirit of God or take for granted His holy influence in your life. Lay aside bitter words, temper tantrums, revenge, profanity, and insults, but instead be kind and affectionate toward one another. Has God graciously forgiven you? Then graciously forgive one another in the depths of Christ's love. Dear Lord, we thank you for your precious word today. We thank you for teaching us, for growing us, helping us to walk in forgiveness and peace and love, guided by your Holy Spirit all the days of our life. Help us to be gentle and kind and to be led by you, Holy Spirit, to touch the hearts and minds of those who are so deceived and lost without you. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody stand up, look at